Welcome to the next in a series of Ask a Chair podcasts brought to you by SAEM Rams. Hello, everyone. We are here with Dr. Ian Martin. He is the chair of Emergency Medical College of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. Thank you so much for stopping by today, Dr. Martin. I know that our residents and medical students are eager to hear what you have to say. Well, Amanda, thank you for the invitation. It's really my honor to do this podcast with the Rams board, Rams group. Excellent. We'll get started on some of the questions that we have prepared. Could you describe how you first became a department chair? Was this a goal that you always aspired to, or is this something that came up later in your career? So probably deep down somewhere, I I always wanted to be a chair, but believe it or not, I think early in my career, I didn't have the belief that I could or should be a chair. Fortunately, a now mentor of mine saw some real potential in me and taught me fairly early in my career how to really extract the academic currency out of all the things that I was already doing at work. And as a result of that, my number of publications and presentations, Mm -hmm. invited lectures, et cetera, really uh, went up quite a bit and uh, resulted in academic promotion to associate professor and ultimately to full professor of tenure. To this day, he continues to be a mentor of mine and I'm grateful that I can repay him at time with some of my advice to him as well. As my career moved along, I progressively took on more and more leadership opportunities, both at my home institutions as well at national associations like SAEM. And on the heels of leadership-focused faculty development program at UNC Chapel Hill, I decided to get an MBA. And it really was the MBA degree at um, Mm -hmm. Keenan Flagler Business School that really gave me the belief that I had the leadership interest and skills to be a chair one day. And now I've had the opportunity to be a chair at two different institutions, first at West Virginia University, Mm -hmm. now at the Medical College of Wisconsin. Excellent. Speaking of national leadership roles, congratulations on being president of SAEM. What do you hope to accomplish in your term as president? So the first thing is a year goes by really quickly. So given that, I actually have to have fairly modest aspirations for Mm -hmm. what I hope to achieve. Primarily, I really want to execute effectively on the 2019 strategic plan that I really helped Mm -hmm. drive at our most recent retreat. And so as part of this, one of the things I really hope to help happen is an expansion of education, research, career development program to benefit our members. I'd also like to help really outline and implement a set of strategies aimed at increasing diversity and inclusion at all levels of leadership in SAM, like our academies and our committees and the board itself. And lastly, I'd really like to scan what I call the association horizon identifying key partners like CORD and AEM, perhaps even European Society for Emergency Medicine, with whom we really should collaborate to, you know, move our football down the field of our agenda. So those are some of the things I really hope to achieve in this next year. You've already touched on this a little bit when you talked about the mentors that you've had and your MBA degree, but what were some of the other major stepping stones on your path to becoming a leader in emergency medicine? And what can residents and medical students focus on now to set them up for these types of roles? Good question. So again, and I alluded to some of this in the first Mm -hmm. question, but first was overcoming belief that I really Mm -hmm. could and should be a chair. And formal leadership strategy as well as business training 
actually went a long way in terms of giving me that belief. That was the first thing. The second one really was finding the right mentor or set of mentors. And the truth is probably not one person can mentor you in all aspects of your life as a professional. You might have one leader to guide you as a, as a leader itself, as an academician, as an emergency physician, as a person of color, as a woman, et cetera. So you likely have to find a sort of a network of mm-hmm. mentors inside and outside of emergency medicine, perhaps inside and outside of your home institution to really help guide your career. The next thing is taking on successive and progressively more challenging leadership opportunities, really trying to establish a track record of success in leadership. That's a really important thing. The other thing I've learned is learning the value of just showing up. You know, a lot of success in life is really just showing up. So I surprise people when I say I don't really consider myself a leader. Rather, I consider myself a guy who often steps up in times of need. And it's amazing what a difference you can make in an organization when you're willing to do that. But it's also been amazing what stepping up can do for your own personal career. So my leadership ascent in SAM is actually a great example of this. So very early on in my career, I was a faculty member at Duke, and I just so happened to attend a what was then called the International Emergency Medicine Interest Group, and it was their business meeting. I attended with a mentor, and they were conducting elections. And out of the blue, she nominated me for a leadership position. And the next thing I know, I'm the secretary treasurer of this group. And that was many, many, many years ago. But you can see how my career has progressed since that time. And I really attribute where I am today in terms of SAM leadership with that very early just showing up and being willing to step up in a time of need. That was an excellent example of not only just showing up, but having mentors and sponsors that support you and put your interests forward. So that was a great example. Now this next question, this is the part of the conversation that I'm most looking forward to because this is an interest of mine as well. But your research focuses on the delivery of emergency care internationally, particularly in East Africa. Global health is definitely a growing subspecialty in EM. And what advice do you have for medical students and residents or what experiences would you like to share from what you have been able to do in the subspecialty of global health? I really appreciate this question. I think this was the most exciting so far. So I have three research interests really. So Mm -hmm. number one is host response to acute infections like sepsis. Number two is elucidation of optimal models for ED-based HIV hep C testing. And then the last, which is germane to this question, is acute care disease burden and developing nations. So with reference to the last, I have a a few points I'd like to share. So first, take advantage of the abundance of global health educational opportunities that are available to students and to residents these days. Most medical schools and many EM residencies actually offer global health educational programs as part of the curriculum. And so you might even factor that into your choice of medical schools or your choice of training programs. But don't fret if you can't. I didn't get to do my first global health educational opportunity. So actually I was a faculty member. Mm-hmm. See, it worked out okay for me. The next thing I would say is depending on your career aspirations. So for example, you're interested in academics versus a non-governmental organization versus going at it alone, you might consider doing, you know, further training with Global Emergency Medicine Fellowship Program. You know, also considering, or depending on your career aspirations, 
you might think about getting another advanced degree. There are masters of public health degrees that many folks who do global emergency medicine attain. But there's also now these master of science and global health degrees that a number of institutions are offering. And it's sort of an MPH that's much more tailored to the global health environment. And probably most importantly, you have to strive for sustainability so as to avoid medical tourism. Really, our partners abroad should be getting more out of this than we ourselves are. And so I think they're broadly three ways in which you can strive for sustainability in your career. So number one, you could just leave our country and go to another and take care of one patient after the other with direct clinical care. Now there's a whole host of reasons why that doesn't work for many people's lives. The second is, you know, you could really train local practitioners to do the things you do if you were always there to a so-called train the trainers model. And the final, which is sort of where I've landed in my career is attempt to answer some really important research questions that will impact the care, health, and well-being of similar patients in similar locales elsewhere in the world. That's a lot of good advice. I was particularly looking forward to that section, and so thank you for that. Thank you for the question. Well, let's change gears a little bit and away from the work side of emergency medicine. Growing a career in emergency medicine is demanding, like we've talked about. We've talked about a lot of different aspects. How do you balance research, your responsibilities as chair, your responsibilities to SAM, and your personal life or your time away from work? Oh, that's a tough question, but a good one and an important one across a, a career. So I mean, the first thing, and I actually have this conversation with my own faculty, I don't personally ascribe to the notion of work-life balance at the macro level, meaning Mm -hmm. this perfect balance between your work life and your personal life across the entirety of a professional life. I just, I have difficulty getting my head and arms around what that actually means. But rather, I think about work-life balance at the micro level and on a day-to-day level. An analogy, so as opposed to the seesaw analogy, which is the one that I think aptly describes sort of the macro, the notion mm-hmm. of macro balance. Again, I don't really buy into that, but instead it's the micro. And I think a better analogy, and, and I can't take credit for this, so someone shared it with me many years ago, and I think it works, and I pass it on to other folks I care about, is the juggling analogy. So when you juggle, let's say pins, There are more objects that you're trying to manage than there are hands that you have. Mm -hmm. And on a daily basis, some of those or most of those pens are plastic. And what happens if you drop plastic? It just bounces. But maybe one or two of those pens are actually made of glass. And when you drop glass, what happens? It shatters. And so I think from day to day, our job is really to figure out what are the glass pens of the day. One day it might be the recital of our kid, but the next day it might be getting in a grant application. So that's an analogy that has really helped me sort of try to achieve the balance across all the different things that I'm trying to do as a professional. Thank you so much, Dr. Martin. I've really enjoyed talking to you this afternoon, and I know that the residents and medical students appreciate hearing from you and hearing what you have to say. Man, I'm grateful for the opportunity. Thank you.